Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, This is a content warning. Uh, The interview that you're about to hear contains themes of suicide that some listeners may find confronting. It's not suitable for young listeners. And if you're listening whilst driving, I suggest that you catch up with the show later on 3CR Online or via podcast. Welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits, people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the recovery programs that assist those suffering directly or indirectly from addiction to drugs, alcohol, gambling and food. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. As you are probably already aware, February is 3CR's subscriber month, and this is subscriber week. If you aren't already a subscriber, please think about how your support of 3CR can help spread the word about recovering from drugs, alcohol, food and gambling. Living Free is keeping the lived experience of recovering addicts, alcoholics and their families on air and helps to support the recovery communities by informing the public about the help they provide. 3CR supports Living Free, so please consider supporting 3CR by subscribing now. Today, my guest is a recovering alcoholic, and she'll be sharing her lived experience as a problem drinker, including how Alcoholics Anonymous helps her and other problem drinkers to overcome the impact of alcohol abuse. So welcome to the show, Grace. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good. So, Grace, usually we start talking about uh, the influences from an early age. So what was your early childhood and family life like? Yeah, so I grew up in a pretty middle-class family in the outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne and you know my dad worked a lot and you know when I was little I stayed home with mum a lot and it was pretty yeah normal and uneventful but I for whatever reason I was always really full of fear and felt different or like I didn't fit in and was very sensitive and very uh, self-conscious from as long as I can remember. And, you know, my schooling and stuff um, was very rocky. Like I wasn't very strong academically and, you know, I really struggled in school and I also struggled uh, socially and just because I was really sensitive and really afraid of rejection and abandonment from even kids in school. Yeah. So did that affect your friendships? Could you develop good friends or not? I could, like I would have really close friends, but then it is something um, went wrong. Like I I feel like I had close friendships, but then there was a lot of conflict or fighting or, you know, like I would take everything really personally and stuff like that. So I would say that my friendships were very turbulent, but I, I was able to make good friends, but it was more about, I guess, keeping them. Yeah, okay. So what about family? Did you have any siblings? Yeah, I've got a younger brother, um, and so it's just me and him. Did you get on with him? We do now. When we were little, like, we're only 18 months apart, and so we're very close in age, and we fought a lot. And then, you know, as we got older, we'd have periods where we just ignored each other and (laughs) didn't speak, and then we were either really... Like I've got quite young parents, so <clears throat> excuse me. So we were often the only kids at like family, at like friends' events and things like that. So we could be really close when we wanted, but we were also like we'd fight really badly. But we get along really well now as adults. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> so, did you have any problems with people bullying you at school or anything like that? I did. Like I. A lot of people I was friends with would then, you know, like a lot of bitching and stuff like that. And like I had a friend of mine 
like turn on me and you know was like hitting me and stuff in primary school and things like that so there was definitely different forms of bullying and when I went into high school um there was a little bit of cyber bullying and things like that yeah did your parents sort of were they aware of that or yeah um when in primary school when the girl was hitting me I actually got in trouble because I kicked her off me and so I got like a detention which when I was in primary school it seems like the biggest deal in the world (laughs) (laughs) and I remember like my brother running to the car and telling my mum that I got in trouble and she and I just burst into tears and told her what happened and she went to the school and she got it like revoked but um because she was like she was defending herself like she was kicking someone off her and mum also would go to the school when like the cyberbullying was happening so mum was very um good at advocating for me and protecting me and I'd forgotten that I got bullied when I was in prep and I actually moved schools because the principal wouldn't do anything about it and his solution for it was to tell mum to just like ignore me when I say that I've had a bad day and not ask me how my day was and um mum was like I'm not going to do that to my five-year-old so yeah mum was very um protective yeah did your mum or dad come from families that had any alcohol or drug or gambling problems I think my so my mum's family extended family there's a lot of I know of a lot of drug use Um, there's probably a lot of alcohol use as well but like a lot of her cousins and stuff have had big problems with marijuana but my mum's mum I think was a big drinker but she actually um, committed suicide when I was three or four and I would say from what I know it might have to do with um, addiction and other mental health problems so there's definitely some stuff there and maybe a little on my dad's side but the alcohol stuff was kind of always seen in my family as kind of normal. Like alcohol was kind of socially acceptable. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then I guess moving on to high school then, did things change for you once you got into high school? A little bit. Like I would say it just got more extreme in terms of like my fear and my sensitivity and turbulent friendships and things like that and I struggled even more academically in high school and I ended up moving schools the end of year eight and so starting a new school and I was going from a public school to a private school and it seemed very different and it was a uh, religious school and it was like I had a lot of fear about fitting into a new yeah a new school where you're like center of attention because you're the new kid and everyone knows your name and all that kind of like thing to like when people have already formed their friendships and stuff like that I found that particularly yeah difficult for a kid that's sensitive and fearful of everything yeah so how did you cope with that yeah okay I think like um I think like I I put a lot of effort into probably making friends rather than academics like that always seemed like being liked and being um you know accepted and stuff always seemed like the most important thing to me and I did like pretty well like until it was probably year 11 and 12 where like I started to develop like some sort of mental health conditions and things and that's when around that time like I started to drink and things like that yeah so talking about you know starting to drink uh so you what you must have been around 16 17 or so yeah yeah a, a lot of alcoholics start drinking when they're 13 or 14 so you sort of you made it through that yeah. difficult <laughs> period so what was the attraction to alcohol what what did you think it was going to do for you I don't know like my parents have always drank alcohol and it's always been very normal like I like I said my parents were young when they had me and so I was always dragged along to parties and everyone was drinking it was just kind of yeah normal but I don't really remember like 
wanting to drink because it would have an effect. It was just, and I'm younger than my year level, so um, I started school early. So when I was growing as some of my friends' 18th, I was still 16. And for me, it was more everyone else is doing it and I want to fit in and, like, they're allowed to, so I want to. And that was kind of my attraction to it at first before I started it. And then it turned into my attraction was how it made me feel. Yeah, so do you want to talk about the first time you had it and did it have any effect the first time? The first time I really remember, I think I'd had like one or two before, but the first time I really remember like really drinking was I went to a party um, at the start of year 12 and I'd had, I had a couple of, like I got to the party and had a few drinks and I drank them really, really quickly. And within, I think it was 20 minutes of being at the party, I was like passed down on the dance floor. And then I got back up and I kept drinking, even though my, my high school boyfriend at the time was trying to like, I just remember him wrestling this bottle of tequila from me and was like, you've had too much, you can't. And I just, yeah, kept drinking until, you know, I was vomiting and passing out at the end of the night. And I that was a Friday night and I thought it was wonderful and I did it again and the next night at a different party and that kind of set off um, my year 12 experience. That, that's, yeah, it's not unusual, that's for sure, having people do do that but it it really sounds uh strange so can you remember the the feeling that it gave you yeah I think just being you know like I've said I was very self-conscious and very sensitive and when I would drink alcohol back then all that would kind of go away or at least the volume of that would be turned down and the loud fun you know party girl could come out and that's I guess what I thought would get me accepted is if I'm this certain way and the only way I was able to do that was if I was drinking and it also you know I've always had a really busy head um that overthinks and analyzes everything and it brightens that and you know to me at 16 that was you know wonderful and I was also like I thought it also made me you know, look cool to be, like I kind of wore it as a badge of honour. Yeah, okay. (laughs) So how did that affect your relationships, you know, both with your school friends and, I guess, boys? Like I had a boyfriend at the time and but he was a very new boyfriend and we would fight a lot when I was drinking or when we were both drinking. And so through that time period, I just remember, like, we'd be at parties just screaming at each other and I don't even really know why. It was obviously just, yeah, alcohol just fueled that. And my relationships with my friends were good, but my, you know, my friends had to often look after me or, you know, there were times where they had to call my dad to come pick us up from a party because I was too drunk, but then they were trying to hide the fact from my dad that I was too drunk because I wasn't meant to be drinking and like or I was meant to have had two cruises and that was it. So my friends, yeah, had to look after me a lot, which I think put, it was okay in year 12, but as that continued, it put a strain on a lot of my friendships. Um, mm. So did your parents find out about your drinking at that point? Yeah, they definitely knew. Like I was, I thought they didn't, but they did. And it was probably later year 12 where they were a bit more accepting of me drinking, but they definitely didn't know how much I was drinking, just that I was, like, they could tell that I was drunk and I wasn't very good at hiding it. So, yeah, they definitely knew that I was going out and getting drunk, but they weren't aware of the amount that I was drinking. Yeah. So were they concerned for your safety? I think... When it was things like house parties at people I like, you know, it was usually at 
someone from school's 18th or things like that, I don't think they were too concerned. It wasn't until things like schoolies and nightclubs and things like that that I think they became a bit more concerned for my drinking. And when I turned 18, you know, I had a lot of access to alcohol, which I think scared them more than when it was just at parties and things like that. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay, well, listen, we might take a short break there. No worries. Each week on Living Free, we volunteer our time to share the recovery stories and, like all 3CR shows, Living Free presenters volunteer their time and energy each week. Each week you can listen live, on demand or via podcast. Since June 2017, we have amassed over 220 podcasts of our show and they are available for free download through 3CR's webpage. Subscribe now. Brighter on cloudy days You are the rainbow in the rain You are the pot of gold that's got a hold of my heart No matter where I roam You are the home sweet home The lighthouse by the shore in the storm There's no other way to say You are a M-A-Z-I-N-G You are a M-A-Z-I-N-G You are amazing, I'm craving Cassidy Rowe's new single, Amazing, a tribute to frontline workers everywhere. It was courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. If you would like to hear powerful speakers on recovery from the effects of alcoholism, join Alcoholics Anonymous at their national convention in Melbourne this April. AA's national convention with Al-Anon participation will take place from the 22nd to the 24th of April 2022. For more information, go to the AA National Convention website at aanatcon2022.com. AA's National Convention with Al-Anon Participation at the Pullman Hotel, 65 Queens Road, Albert Park. For more information about problem drinking, call Alcoholics Anonymous on 1300 222 222 or Al-Anon Family Groups on 1300 252 666.
Hello, I'm Ayan Shirwa, the host of 3CR's Diaspora Blues Program. If you're a long-time 3CR listener, what is up? And if you're a new listener, welcome. 3CR is home to 400 volunteers and over 126 programs. Every year, we bring you stories that concern all of us. The workers, the unemployed, folks from all walks of life. And unlike the corporate shills, our funding comes directly from the community. In return, we shine the spotlight on stories about the climate crisis, Indigenous communities' fight for sovereignty, Palestinian perspectives, and any of the music or art programs 3CR champions. To help your favourite grassroots media stay on air, go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419-8377. You're listening to The Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then you can head to your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free show and how you can contact us. Today I'm talking with Grace and we're talking about recovery from alcohol abuse uh, with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, so Grace, before the break, we are talking about drinking at 18th birthday parties and things. And then you mentioned that things got a bit worse once you went, you started going to things like schoolies and out to venues. So do you want to talk a bit more about, you know, the sorts of things that I guess occurred and and whether you were concerned about your own drinking at that point? Yeah. So when I finished year 12, um, I went to schoolies in in a country town in Victoria and I was still 17 and my dad bought me alcohol that he thought was like quite a lot of alcohol to take on schoolies and I without him knowing like doubled the amount because a lot of my friends were 18 I bought double the amount that he knew of and we stayed in this house and I was you know drinking a lot and like you know the neck it was becoming where the next day like I couldn't hold anything down which I now know was probably alcohol poisoning and things like that and you know through year 12 like I had suspected glandular fever because I just I would get really sick and then I'd take antibiotics and they would work for a little bit and then I'd get really sick again and no one could work out what it was and I remember my mum taking me to a GP when I was I think 17 and saying like I think that you're allergic to alcohol because like it does something physically to your body that it doesn't to other people like it makes you really sick and like when I noticed when you've had a really big weekend your body doesn't cope very well with it like physically like you get really sick and stuff like that and I was like you can't be allergic to alcohol mum like that's ridiculous and I wasn't very concerned I just thought I was it was normal and you know I went to uni um, and I started uni at 17 and that was just more acceptable to like binge drink and party four times a week instead of just the weekends. So that's when, you know, nightclubs and things like that started happening when I turned 18 and things got, yeah, a lot more just worse, yeah. Yeah. So how did that affect your study? Greatly. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Again, like, you know, I've always struggled academically and so getting into uni was a massive deal because I didn't do very well in year 12. So to get into the subject I wanted to get into or the course I wanted to get into was, you know, amazing. But then I didn't put a lot of focus on it. I think for the first year I did okay, but then I started failing subjects and because it just wasn't my priority and (laughs) I would then you know, be hungover when I was meant to study and things like that. And 
I ended up getting a letter from the university to say that if I like failed another subject that I would be, I don't know if they use this word, but basically expelled from the university. Yep. And so, yeah, it definitely affected my studies for sure. Mm, yeah. Were you li- still living at home or were you living out of home at that point? I was still living at home. Yeah. So I was still with my high school boyfriend, so I spent a lot of time back and forth from his place to my place. But, um, yeah, I was still living at home and they were supporting me, like my parents were supporting me. Yeah. So were they concerned about your drinking? Yeah. Yeah. What did they do? I think they try and, you know, they tried talking to me about it, but I wasn't probably very, I guess, receptible to it. Like, I think they were they were very concerned about because after a few years of eating, like my mental health started to decline, and I got really unwell. And but I was still drinking, and I think that's when they really got concerned was when my mental health wasn't good, but then I was still going out and drinking and it seemed to make it worse. And so their focus of concern was more on um, my mental health and state of mind, but that was then exacerbated by the fact that I was, you know, drinking and things like that. Yeah. So what sort of problems were you having? I guess I had a lot of uh, depression where I felt like I couldn't get out of bed and I had a lot of anxiety. It was later I had a lot of suicidal ideation and I ended up seeing a psychiatrist and she diagnosed me with bipolar and later on I also got diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and I just was having a lot of trouble with friendships and a lot of trouble with fear of abandonment and yeah but it was to the point where I had attempted suicide a couple of times and I was like it got to the point where I was basically being babysat where I couldn't leave I couldn't be alone I wasn't allowed to drive my car like I because it was unsafe and I just couldn't get out of bed at all for like quite a few years that must have been pretty concerning for you yeah yeah so did that make you feel more anxious? And Yeah, like um, I think like I really just didn't want to be on the earth anymore and, you know, I was still trying to finish uni and I, and I did. And then I think I kind of was like if I get past this life stage then everything will be okay and I then got, I got a full-time job and I ended up, going down to two days a week and then to zero days a week and like my life just felt really unmanageable and I was losing friendships and I felt like a burden on my family because they were having to take a lot of time off to look after me and yeah it was very very hard time in my life for sure. Yeah did you find any help you know from getting professional help was that helping you? Yeah, like it was, like I've, I was seeing psychologists, which some were helpful and some were probably harmful, if anything. And I was seeing a psychiatrist for a long time who was fantastic and for a long time she couldn't work out how to treat what was happening for me and the diagnosis wasn't correct. And I had lots of, um, like, interventions like... TMS, which is where they put a magnet on your brain Mm -hmm. um, to stimulate the brain. And so I went into a psychiatric hospital and had that done. And then I had um, ECT done, which is like electric compulse um, shock therapy or something for a long time. So they tried a lot of things and some of them worked a little bit. And I had a lot of medication, but the medication didn't work that well because I, and I now know that it's because I was drinking on a lot of it or it was the wrong medication and different stuff. So some things worked, but there was still always like a lot of mental health stuff going on. It was just really the degree of seriousness would change. Yeah. So obviously your parents were pretty concerned about you at that point. Yeah. So 
what were they trying to do to help? So they put me on the highest level of private health insurance. So my family were on like a middle cover and they paid for my name to be at the top so that it covered psychiatric hospitalisation. And they, you know, fought a lot for me to see certain doctors and, you know, they took a lot of time off work to look after me and to find. And my mum worked in um, a field of social work and that kind of stuff, so she knew quite a lot about it. And so they did a lot to, yeah, try and find me the right help. And But it ended up being where, like, I spent, I think there was one week, uh, one year, sorry, where I spent 22 weeks of the whole year in a psychiatric hospital and um, it ended up being where... It was quite unsafe for me to be at home, so I spent a lot of time in psych wards and stuff, which was very difficult for my family when they're, you know, 23-year-old or whatever I was, can't be home much. So they tried really hard to get me, yeah, to a place where I was well enough to be independent and, you know, I was really bad with my money and they would bail me out a lot financially, yeah. Yeah, it's it's difficult when you're having problems. It's difficult to manage your own life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, did any of your friends help you through this, or was that too difficult? Yeah. Yeah, I had two best friends in particular who I, you know, grew up with, or at least like from high school, and they both tried really hard to you know, help me and stay by my side and stuff. And but those relationships became pretty codependent. And my high school, so I stayed with my high school boyfriend for about eight years and we broke up during this time. And that, I guess, not that it's his fault at all, but that circumstance and that rejection and abandonment, it exacerbated everything that was going on and I got worse. And I think I latched onto these two friends more after that happened and, you know, they were trying to live their life as well and, like, I wasn't, I guess, able to be a good friend to them. I was just taking from them and so it got to the point. And I think for my friends and also for my parents is that I would, you know, not, I'd stop drinking in hospital and then I would come out and then I might stop drinking for a little bit and then I would go out again and, and get drunk and different stuff and I was engaging in the same, a lot of the same behaviours that were keeping me sick. And so they were getting frustrated that we're trying to help you and but you're not helping yourself. So it got to a point where those two friends, they stopped talking to me because it got too hard for them and everything that I was going through. And, you know, my family and my friends, like, would often think that they weren't going to see me again or that, like, that I was going to die and stuff like that. So it's, it's a lot to put on people who were, you know, early 20s and, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's not a good position for any, any party to be in in real terms, yeah. Yeah. So what was the trigger then for you to, to decide that, maybe stopping alcohol was a good thing? So I had weight loss surgery because I also used food to cope a lot. And after I had weight loss surgery, I couldn't binge eat anymore. And so drinking, but I could, um, like I didn't have enough room in my stomach to eat a lot, but I could drink. And so um, drinking got worse and things like, you know, drinking on my own started happening and, you know, drinking in situations where I probably shouldn't be started happening and, you know, I was being hospitalised for alcohol poisoning more and there was a lot more kind of like serious drama that was happening around alcohol and I remember my dad saying to me, I think that you need to be abstinent and stop altogether because he had noticed this pattern that like something dramatic would happen and I would stop drinking and because I'd been had alcohol poisoning or there'd been something that had gone on and so I'd I'd stopped drinking for a little while and then I'd maybe have two drinks at a barbecue with them or at a family event and then the next weekend I'd be binge drinking again and it's like it starts this cycle again 
and he's like I don't think you can moderate I think you need to stop altogether and I never noticed that pattern before and that kind of um pushed me to test the pattern and to go like no I can moderate and so I tried to like only have two drinks at different things and it I couldn't do it it was like or I could do it maybe once out of eight times but it was becoming really hard for me to only have a couple of drinks if I once I started drinking and yeah I was on a lot of pain medication and so it got to a point where I had a mental health worker who said you know and I really didn't think that my substance use was the problem and she was like would you like me to make a referral for AOD work and you can just chat to them and I was like oh yeah I don't think I need to but sure and um this guy called me for an assessment and it was meant to go for 10 minutes and it went for like 45 minutes and he was like yeah I think we need to get you some help and so um I met this guy and he he was like you're like in serious risk of um dying with the the fact that you've got 10% of your stomach and you're on pain medication and the way that you're drinking like I'm really concerned for your um health and that coincided at the same time that I was trying to moderate my drinking and realising that I couldn't. So that was kind of the catalyst for going, I probably need to stop. Okay. Well, listen, we might take a short break there. 3CR needs your support to continue providing an independent voice on important community matters and supporting changed social attitudes. Keep 3CR on air by subscribing today. You can do it online at... 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call 039419-8377. Press 1 and subscribe over the phone. Mm-hmm. You crossed your heart, you swore to God, hand held high like a scout. On stars outside the bar, you'd never heard me like you did. You were there, you were staying, the answer to my prayer, and the other had the missing piece. You were meant to be my person, you were meant to be the one I come home to, but you became.
And that last song was also Cassidy Ray singing one of her recent releases called Meant to Be, again courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. Yarra City Arts presents The Bandwagon, a new pop-up COVID-safe live entertainment venue at Condell Reserve this Sunday, February 20, from 6 to 8pm. Featuring punk rockers The Switches, who at age 13 will be playing their third public show, indie pop artist Ilka, who writes songs instead of getting therapy, and 16-year-old Cooper Jack, producer of indie pop beats. For all Yarra Staycation events, visit yarracity.vic.gov.au slash rediscover. Yarra City Arts is a 3CR supporter. Hello, 3CR listeners. I'm Giselle Hanna from Accent of Women and Asia Pacific Currents, and I'm appealing to you to subscribe to 3CR to keep radical voices on air. I've been a volunteer and broadcaster at 3CR for over 20 years, and I can say categorically that radical voices like ours that bring you stories of extraordinary, incredible women from across the world leading grassroots struggles, well, those voices just aren't welcome in the mainstream media. You won't hear about the struggle against Samsung's human rights abuses against its workers in South Korea. You won't hear about the plight of the Myanmar resistance against the coup on any other station, at least not the way we tell it here at 3CR. So be a comrade and go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 This is Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. And today I'm talking with Grace and we're talking about recovering from alcohol abuse with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. So Grace, before the um, break, we're talking about the fact that you'd seen someone to talk about alcohol and drug use problems and they felt you had a pretty serious risk given your medical condition. So what was the next step after that? Did they get you into some sort of program? What they did is they, like, tried to get me to try to stop drinking and I couldn't and so, and I was very honest, like, I, I always have been very honest with professionals of how I was drinking because I didn't really see the shame in it. Like, I didn't really think my drinking was a problem so I never really lied about the amount I was drinking. And he said okay if we can't get you to stop drinking we'll try and get you off painkillers and um because I have like chronic pain condition and so they did a ketamine infusion which was to help me reduce the painkillers I was on so that I could drink safely and that was for like two weeks and I was in hospital and it was one of the most awful things I've ever been through and it didn't really work. Like I um, reduced it a little, my, like the painkillers a little bit, but it didn't really help my pain that much. And so maybe the weekend after I got out of there and I um, went to a friend's birthday party and I, and it was just a really chill thing. And I said, I was going to have like one beer and it ended up me drinking for like binge drinking for 12 hours. And I saw this guy, I think on the Tuesday, and he was like, so how's it been going since the ketamine infusion? And I was like, I've been binge drinking again. And he was like, okay, I think that you need to go on um, some medication. So I went on this medication that is a, um, oh, what's the word, um, aversion yeah. uh, therapy yeah. so that um, if I smell or drank alcohol, it would make me violently ill. And so I went on that a few days before Christmas and I was on that for maybe a month but it my immune system got lowered from it I think and um I got really sick with pneumonia and ended up in hospital and so after that I stopped taking it but I I remained sober for a little while 
I think just from the fear of the consequences. Um, yeah. So I guess while this is happening, you're, you know, noting it yourself. So are you, are you becoming more concerned about your lack of control? Yeah, like definitely when I agreed to go on the medication, I think, and like my personal life was getting worse. That was around the time that my friends were like, we can't do this anymore. And my parents were like getting, like I knew it was getting to the point where I was possibly going to be homeless because they were at their like wit's end. And so I think combined with that and also seeing that like I didn't really know how to control it, I saw the need for me to be abstinent. But I still didn't think that I was an alcoholic and I still thought if I, like I think my thinking was if I give up for a year, then I'll be able to drink, you know, normally and, the like, you know, all the drama will stop once I've had a break. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so how did that work? <laughs> well, not very well. And, like, I think after a few months I went to a couple of AA meetings and all I kind of, and, you know, I was 25 female and I, you know, a lot of the people I saw at the meetings I went to were, you know, old men and I didn't really identify and I, all I kind of heard was just don't pick up a drink one day at a time and I was already doing that so I didn't really see the need to sit in a room with old men. So I kept going about my life, but thing, you know, I wasn't drinking and I wasn't, there was a little bit less drama in my life, but I was still really unwell and I still wanted to die and I still was unreliable. And like, if alcohol was the problem, like not that much had changed as a result of just me being in sobriety. Like I still had a few psych admissions and, things like that and um, I think it was at maybe eight months sober I I got to the point where I like was driving home from somewhere and I was like I'm gonna drink tonight like I just don't know how to deal with life without it and um, I decided to go to an AA meeting and I think it was just the desperation of knowing, knowing that I was gonna drink again got me into meetings for a, a few I think it was maybe two months which, yeah, they started to help, but then I went out and drank again after that. So do you want to talk a little bit about what you got out of AA that first, you know, the initial time, those, those few months? Did, did it start making sense to you? Yeah, for sure. Like I think the first week or so, like I wouldn't say the words that I was an alcoholic. I was very, um, like, that seemed really confronting to me. And I remember the first time I said it and at a meeting and this lady, this beautiful lady followed me out and she'd been sober for, like, 40 years or something and she just, like, hugged me in the car car park and I, like, cried for, like, three minutes and she's, like, you're grieving your best friend, like, by saying that I was an alcoholic. I knew that, like, I'd admitted to myself that, it was like a real problem and that I couldn't drink safely again. And alcohol had been something I'd relied on for a really long time. And to admit that, like, I really grieved that. And, you know, but I got a sponsor and I did a lot of the things that people suggest. And I started to learn about what alcoholism is and about that I have a physical allergy. And once I start, I can't stop and uh, things like that. But I think, I don't think I'd fully surrendered at that point. I think I, I intellectually understood it, but I hadn't, yeah, fully accepted that that was who I was. Yeah. Do you want to talk a bit about uh, surrender and submission, that, that concept of either, I guess, giving, giving in, not giving up? Yeah. To me, it's just like admitting that I don't, have control and in a way um you know when I had my proper surrender of like I can't keep doing this and like I'm gonna die was actually really like it like 
I've always kind of seen surrender as like you're losing, but it actually was like freeing of like I can't keep living life the way that I'm living life and I need a new way. And there were people around me, you know, I'd made a lot of friends in AA and I could see that their way was working for them. And to me, surrendering is basically just saying my my will and my, you know, self-will and all that is not working for me and I need a different different way. And it was pretty simple. But the only way I got to that was through being pretty desperate. Yeah. Yeah, I think desperation's a good yeah. step. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you went out and drank again. So how long did that last? One night, thankfully. Oh, okay. So I went to a party and intended of going sober and um, like I drove there and everything and I don't really know what happened, but I picked up a drink and within two hours of picking up a drink, I was passed out somewhere. I didn't know where I was um, and even though it had been 10 months since I um, had a drink, as soon as alcohol went in my system, it was exactly the way that it had always been. Like I was back to drinking the way I'd always drunk and I was hiding it from people at the party because a lot of the people knew I was sober and it was very messy. And I'd, I've always been a really messy drinker and I kind of had this, it smashed the delusion that like, if I have a break from alcohol, then I'll be up, I'll drink normally because it wasn't, that wasn't my experience at all. It was exactly, it was like I'd never given up. Yeah. Mm. So what was it like going back to AA then? Did you go back immediately or did you wait a while? Yeah, um, it was 7.30 in the morning uh, the next morning and I'm trying to locate my car and on the other side of the city and, you know, just unmanageability. And I called a friend and who I knew had little kids and would be awake at 7.30 in the morning and I called her and she took me to a meeting that Sunday and um, I had a lot of fear around um, admitting that I'm drunk again and what people would think of me and, you know, what they would say and and being judged. And But that wasn't my experience. People were, like, just happy that I was alive and now I've been around for a little while. I understand that because some people, a lot of people don't come back after a day. It takes a lot of pity and some people never come back and a lot of people die from that and um, they were just grateful to see me back and that then started, you know, my recovery process. Yeah. So do you want to talk about what life's like now? Yeah, my life is wonderful. Like, you know, I was unable to hold down a job for like six years and, I've had a job for a year and a half and, like, that I'm reliable and I turn up when I say I'm going to turn up and all that kind of stuff, which is something I was never really able to do. And my relationship with my parents today is incredible and they always thought I would have to live with them and they never really, they kind of always um, thought that I would stay dependent on them and things like that. And they've now moved five hours away and they actually rent their house to me and they, you know, they didn't like leaving me because I would just trash the house like all the time and like vomit and clean it up and all this stuff. And like, you know, now like they trust in me and that to me is like absolutely priceless. But it, for me, it's the internal stuff. Like I don't like want to, like I used to want to die every single day for like five years and I don't think like that anymore. And, I have a lot, a lot less fear just generally than I used to and, you know, I'm about to start my Masters and that's something I never thought I would want to do or would be capable of doing and a lot of the, like, old beliefs I have about myself that I'm not smart enough or not capable enough or all that stuff is kind of um, I'm able to push through that these days and, you know, the 10 months that I didn't drink for, I put a lot of effort into not drinking whereas these days I don't really put a lot of effort into not drinking um, and I don't really think about alcohol 
I just don't drink. Like it's been, yeah, removed from me, like the mental obsession. And I think that's one thing I didn't really talk about is like as much as my behaviour was like was different with drinking, like the way I thought about drinking since I was 16 is very different to what most people, most drinkers experience. Like I was obsessed with it and I'm not today, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's great, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. So what about friendships and relationships? How's that going? Yeah, really good. Like I, um, it, like before I did a 12 step program when I was sober, like I had a relationship and even though he never saw me drink, like I, was still unable to really like have a healthy relationship like that relationship didn't last very long because I was just like incapable of um connection and intimacy and just being yeah just fear and you know I'm in a healthy relationship now and like I have you know I've got one good friend left from like my life before AA but I have like beautiful friendships in AA now and the people the friendships I spoke about um my two good friends like through this process like I was able to go and make amends with them and you know one of them lives near me and it was to the point where we wouldn't even wave when we drive past each other and you know we're still not friends or hanging out but like um, if I'm on a walk and I see her, we'll walk and we'll chat and we'll wave to each other when we drive past and that is a miracle from where our friendship came from where we wouldn't speak to each other. And now it's like the, the slate is clean and we're not best friends but we're all good. And so I've been able to clean up a lot of the wreckage of my past with that kind of stuff of, yeah, and, and make amends to people. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. One, one last question. What about with your brother now? Has that, uh, I guess we haven't really talked about him, but, you know, does he understand what happened? Yeah, like he went through a lot and he, uh, when I was about 22, he had to call an ambulance because I'd taken an overdose and, you know, like he went through a lot and he would often have to, like my brother would go and um, I mean my dad would go and ask him to help him remove all the you know ropes and different things from the garage to keep me safe and lock up the medication and that's you know well, it's a lot for any brother but he was like twenty and and I yeah he and he never really talked about it with me he would like he'd come sit with me in hospital and just chat with me about random stuff he would never talk about it. And he still doesn't really talk about it, but he's, you know, we live to, we choose to live together today. So we, he's my housemate and that's something I never thought that we would choose. And, you know, he, he drinks and he drinks normally and he, but he's very respectful with alcohol and different things. And he will, and this has changed since he's seen me get, you know, more well and stuff like he'll tell me if he's put wine in his spaghetti sauce or like you know things like that and our relationship is a lot more equal today for a long time it was like very much him having to look after me and things like that and babysit his big sister and now where it's gotten back to yeah more equal yeah yeah (laughs) that's really good yeah (laughs) yeah um if anybody would like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can phone them on 1300 or you can go online at aa.org.au for more information and details of local AA meetings. So that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Grace for sharing her recovery experience with us and talking about how Alcoholics Anonymous has helped her. Thanks, Grace. No worries. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. I hope you're better to join us again next week when we'll feature Victoria Vanstone from Drunk Mummy, Sober Mummy and Sober Awkward Podcast and talk about staying sober with the help of the online community. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. We need to keep Radical Voices on air 
subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377.